podcast of the Leeds Centre Vedante Studies. Key Moments in the Commedia, number 6, Inferno, Canto 5, lines 121 to 138. I'm Matthew Trahan. The moment I want to talk about in this podcast item is, once again, a very widely discussed passage from the Commedia. The context of the passage is that Dante, the Pilgrim, and Virgil are in the second circle of hell, in which the souls of the lustful are punished. Their punishment is to be blown around in a storm in all different directions, with no hope of their suffering being reduced. Dante the Pilgrim picks out two of the souls among the many. One of these souls describes where she has come from and explains that love had seized her and ultimately led to her death. Dante realises who this is. It's Francesca da Rimini who was a member of a ruling family of Ravenna. The very first people to write commentaries on the comedy tell us that in about 1285, Francesca's husband discovered his wife with his brother Paolo and murdered them both. So the passage I'm interested in comes right after Dante has identified Francesca by name and he asks Francesca, to explain how the love she and Paolo felt for each other revealed itself. I'm going to focus on Francesca's reply, which I'll read out, as usual, first in Italian, and then in translation, this time in the translation by Robert and Jean Hollander, published by Doubleday. E quella a me, nessun maggior dolore che ricordarsi del tempo felice nella miseria e ciò sa il tuo dottore ma sa conoscer la prima radice del nostro amor tu hai cotanto affetto dirò come colui che piange e dice noi leggevamo un giorno per diletto di lancialotto come amor lo strinse soli eravamo e senza alcun sospetto per più fiate gli occhi ci sospinse quella lettura e scolorocci il viso, ma solo un punto fu quel che ci vinse. Quando leggemmo il disiato riso esser basciato da cotanto amante, questi che mai da me non fia diviso, la bocca mi basciò tutto tremante. Galeotto fu il libro, e chi lo scrisse, quel giorno più non vi leggemmo avante. And here's Robert and Jean Hollander's translation. And she to me, there is no greater sorrow than to recall our time of joy in wretchedness, and this your teacher knows. But if you feel such longing to know the first root of our love, I shall tell as one who weeps in telling. One day, to pass the time in pleasure, we read of Lancelot how love enthralled him, we were alone, without the least misgiving. More than once that reading made our eyes meet, and drained the colour from our faces. Still, it was a single instant overcame us, when we read how the longed-for smile was kissed by so renowned a lover, this man, who never shall be parted from me, all trembling, kissed me on my mouth. A galeotto was the book, and he that wrote it. That day... We read in it no further. 
Now, as I've already suggested, these lines are very widely discussed, and one of the reasons for this should already be clear. Francesca is very good indeed at making you sympathise with her. Indeed, the first three lines of the passage I've just read are often cited out of context as though they were a sort of statement of truth that Dante's offering us about the human condition. Nessun maggior dal dolore che ricordarsi del tempo felice nella miseria. There is no greater sorrow than to recall our time of joy in wretchedness. And indeed the pilgrim faints just after the passage which I've read out loud. Di pietade io venni men così com'io morisse. For pity I fainted as if I were dying. Is Dante suggesting that even though Francesca is a sinner, we should in some way be feeling sorry for her? That's one response that certain readers have taken in the past. I think what is certainly true is that Dante is making us do an awful lot of work here as readers. One of the very interesting themes of the passage, in fact, is the theme of reading. And that's what I'd like to focus on here as a way of trying to understand what's actually going on in this passage and helping us to understand a little bit better how we're supposed to understand the figure of Francesca. Now, one of the ways in which the idea of reading is very important is that there are at least two works of literature which Dante wants us to have in our minds at this point. The first of these is Virgil's Aeneid. There are lots of reasons why this canto makes us think of this text, and of course it should be on our minds throughout the Inferno, given that its author is Dante's guide through hell. But more specifically, we're told when Francesca and Paolo come towards the pilgrim and Virgil that they leave La Schiera Ovedido, this is in line 85 of the canto. In other words, they leave the flock of souls where Dido is. Now, Dido is a figure in the Aeneid who falls madly in love with the Aeneid's hero, the protagonist Aeneas, while he's in Carthage, and wants him to stay with her. Aeneas, however, realises that it's his greater duty to leave Carthage and to go on to found Rome, an act which Dante believed was willed by God. So, in the Aeneid, this is still... Aeneas leaves Carthage, even though he does so, we found out, find out later on in Virgil's poem, he does so unwillingly. As a result of this, Dido kills herself. So, by reminding us of Dido, Dante's also reminding us in Canto V of Aeneas as a model of someone who overcomes romantic attachment, if you like, in order to pursue a greater goal. Someone who is, to use the word that Virgil uses very frequently in the Aeneid, someone who is pious, a word which is well worth keeping in mind here, someone who has a strong sense of duty. Actually, very early on in the opening book of the Aeneid, just after Aeneas and the Trojans have been blown off course, Aeneas tries to boost his men's morale, and he says something very interesting when we think of it alongside this passage in Inferno 5. He says that perhaps the day will come when it will give you, in other words his men, pleasure to remember even this. In other words, it's the exact opposite of what Francesca says. In a difficult time, you can take comfort in the fact that there might be a future happy time 
when you can look back with pleasure on the difficulty that you've overcome, that you've experienced. So, if you like, a subtext to all of what Francesca says is the story of Aeneas, a hero who overcame feelings of romantic love, even with great difficulty, to pursue a divinely willed goal. The other really important example of reading that we've got here in the poem is that of Lancelot. Notice that in the passage that we're looking at, Dante makes sure that Francesca's very precise about what it was that she and Paolo were reading. Leggevamo un giorno per diletto di Lancelotto. We read one day to pass the time in pleasure of Lancelot. In other words, it's the book of Lancelot of the Lake. And the moment in the book where Lancelot confesses his love to Guinevere, and the two characters exchange their first kiss. As Paolo and Francesca are reading of this kiss, about this kiss, Paolo in turn kisses Francesca. And Francesca utters the lovely line with which this passage ended, Quel giorno più non vi leggemo avanti. That day we read there no further. I say that's a lovely line because it manages to do lots of things at once. First of all, it's a way of suggesting what they're up to. Let's just say we didn't get much more reading done after that, is uh, one way of interpreting what she says. You meant to think about what they were actually doing. But it's also offering us another signal about how to interpret this passage further. We didn't read any further, Francesca says. But if they had read further, they would have discovered the consequences in the Book of Lancelot of the Lake of that kiss which they read about. Guinevere and Lancelot went on to repent of their sins, dying ultimately as saved souls. Paolo and Francesca chose not to read further, so they never learned that lesson. And just as we're shown how Francesca and Paolo have failed to read properly, I think there's also a message here about how we are supposed to read Dante's poem. First of all, there's a hidden warning here, I think. If you think you've understood Francesca, read on. Otherwise, you end up with death, which is what Francesca and Paolo end up with, and indeed, implicitly, the pilgrim ends up with when he swoons, venni men così mio morisse. He fell, he swooned, as if in death, e caddi come corpo morto cade, and down I fell as a dead body falls. Remember too that one of the features of hell is the lack of hope. The souls who enter hell are instructed to abandon hope, and we're reminded again here that the souls of the lustful have no hope. Those famous lines at the start of the passage today also remind us of this. One way which I quite like to think about these lines at the start of the passage, there is no greater sorrow than to recall our time of joy in wretchedness. As I say, one way I like to think about these lines is as though they're like a truncated, interrupted version of divine providence. They're an interrupted version of the overall history of God's plan for humanity. 
If we think that medieval Christians believed that all of history was governed by a basic movement from the condition of happy union of Adam and Eve with God in the Garden of Eden to a condition of misery and sin following original sin through to a condition of redemption and restoration with God to which human beings can and should look forward. As human beings, this story of divine providence tells us, we've all lost a state of happiness following original sin. But through Christ, medieval Christians believed, a way had been found to regain that state of union, that state of happiness in the Garden of Eden. What Francesca's giving in her statement when she says there's no greater sorrow than to recall our time of joy and wretchedness, what she's giving is a sort of miniature version of providential history, but it's broken. She's fallen from a state of happiness, but there is no mention of the possible restoration of happiness. When she says that Virgil too knows this, this also brings up the topic in our minds, because in Canto 4, the previous canto, Virgil has just explicitly defined himself as someone who lived before Christianity and therefore is in limbo, therefore without hope, without the hope which, for medieval Christianity, was brought by Christ. And in a sense, we won't make sense of that condition of unhappiness until much later on in the poem. There are several words in this passage which we can't quite understand until much later on. Some examples. Francesca goes on and on about love. Love made us do it. Love led us to death. What's wrong with love, we're inclined to ask. And we're right to ask the question, I think. It's only later on in Purgatorio that it's explained to us that all human actions, whether good or bad, are driven by love in one sense or another. It's a question of how that love is put into action, the ends to which it is directed, which makes actions good or bad. The love itself is not the problem. It's the way the love is directed that is. And ultimately, the very end point of Dante's journey is going to be the union with God, which occurs at the very end of Paradiso. And God in that ultimate union, is described as the love which moves the sun and other stars, l'amor che muove il sole e le altre stelle, as the last line of the Paradiso has it. In fact, Francesca's speech is full of terms which are going to be picked up again in the Paradiso. One prime example of this is the idea of un punto, un punto sol fu quel che ci vinse, she says. Still, it was a single instant, a single point, which overcame us. Un punto. But towards the end of the Paradiso, the word punto again is used to describe God. Dante describes being overcome by the punto of God. So we need to read carefully. We need to be not pushed to immediate judgment. Look again at the way Francesca describes her and Paolo's act reading. Per più fiate gli occhi ci sospinse quella lettura. Another line here. More than once that reading made our eyes meet. Notice the word fiate. 
In one sense it just means times, more than once, more than one time. But the word is also linked with the word breath. They are being suspinti, pushed about by the reading, just as the souls here are being blown about in the wind. So the kind of reading that Paolo and Francesca were doing, which wasn't careful, which didn't follow things through, is tied to the very sin they committed. And we too have to be careful not to be caught up with what they are saying. In the fifth canto of the Purgatorio, we're also going to get a nice invitation to think back to the failings of Francesca. Right at the end of the canto, we come across a woman whose husband had murdered her. We know practically nothing about this figure. She certainly wasn't a celebrity, in the sense that Francesca perhaps was. But in the Purgatorio, we're in the realm of hope. The souls that Dante meets in the Purgatorio are saved souls. And if we needed reminding of the way in which Francesca is not saved, and indeed is a dangerous distraction both for the pilgrim and for the reader, this character that we meet at the end of Canto V of Purgatorio looks forward to Dante's return when she speaks to Dante. She looks forward to a time when the pilgrim will be rested after his journey, and asks Dante to remember her. But remember that Francesca, I've already suggested, inverted the idea that we had in the, in the Aeneid, which Aeneas presents, of looking forward to the day when you can remember difficult times with pleasure, because you've got beyond those difficulties. Remember that Francesca was a Dido-like figure. She seems to be a threat to Aeneas, whom because of his duty to the greater good, Virgil always calls pius. Dante, the pilgrim, also needs to be pius at this point, Canto V of the Inferno, even though Francesca is such an appealing and seductive figure. Well, in Canto V of Purgatorio, here we've got a virtually unknown, practically unknown woman, whom Dante is including. And what is her name? As if to remind us, of the Virgilian subtext of Francesca's story, she says, Son la Pia. My name is Pia. So, among the very many things that are happening in Francesca's speech, and it's really not at all surprising that it's among the most widely discussed and indeed hotly debated passages in the Commedia, I think Dante is giving us certain very important indications of how he wants us to read his poem. First, you've got to read the poem intertextually. You've got to read it in relationship with other works. Secondly, don't rush to judgment. In the Commedia, meanings come to be revealed over time. If we take nothing else away from this passage, then I think we need to take one single idea away. Read on. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Lead Centre for Dante Studies. If you'd like to find out more about the centre and its activities, please visit www.leeds.ac.uk slash Italian.